Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Whatever framework you do choose, we just need to make sure that we are committed to not only creating the solution, of course, but to continue evolving it so that we can continue to meet the changes and the consumer demands. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. These talks are designed to both introduce advanced subjects and provide insight into the work being done in these fields. Today we have joining us Kate Thomas. She is the Director of Mobile Technology at FIAT. And additionally, we have Parit Patel, who is the Director of Digital Experience and Design at FIAT. So you might be wondering, why mobile? Why did we pick that as our topic today? At VF, we're really evolving from a mobile-friendly strategy to a mobile-first strategy. And why is that important? So we really see mobile as a behavior and not just a device or a technology or something to put an app on. So think about it. Every day, you probably have your mobile device with you, oftentimes more than you don't. You're sitting on the sofa, you're watching TV, just relaxing, and you think to yourself, oh, I'm running out of toilet paper. What do you do? You grab your mobile and you look at, oh, when's my next shipment coming in? Or let me just order that real quick or see where it's available. I don't know anyone that's gonna get up and say, oh, let me go to my computer in the other room or let me grab my tablet or let me make a phone call. That really is not going to happen most times today. Alternatively, you're planning for a trip and you think to yourself, you know, I really don't have the right jacket for this trip. Let me start browsing to think through, you know, what my options are, what I like, what might fit me well, you know, what will really work for this. So I feel like your mobile device is really a, is an extension of you to some extent, and it's become such a norm that I, it's not even an afterthought to grab it for anything that you need. <clears throat> a couple of interesting stats. So most people spend about four times more time on their mobile device than they do on a desktop every day. And in the US, we spend about as much time on our mobile as we do watching TV, which is pretty interesting to think that in the last 10 or 15 years, like there's this merging of like how much time is spent on both of those things. <clears throat> and for us, you know, a couple of interesting stats are in 2019, 75% of traffic and 67% of sales came from mobile for fashion retail. And for our brands, 60% of traffic starts on mobile. So for us, it's really a way into the future and a way to attract people, but really give them what they're looking for. So as you guys know now, we have a very, very large focus on mobile. Um, but right out of the gate, there are some things that we know need to be true about our products or our solutions really to ensure success um, just right away. The first is purpose. Our solutions must have purpose because purpose is a huge driver of engagement. And without it, there's really just no reason for our users to engage in our products. And I know that kind of sounds like a major duh or it's not really revolutionary, but it's surprising how often you find yourself, you know, hopping into an app or into some other solution and you're kind of left confused and thinking like, what exactly am I supposed to be doing here, right? 
But on the contrary, it's also important that we don't confuse um, having purpose with overloading our solutions with different capabilities, right? At the end of the day, I think that can backfire if we try to put too many features into our solutions. We end up overwhelming not only the solution from a performance standpoint, but also overwhelming our users. Um, next is performance, because in our industry, performance can very much equate to conversion, which is essentially, you know, turning that browsing session into a purchasing session. I'm kind of thinking back to the example that Pervy gave around, you know, you're sitting on your couch and you're looking for a jacket for your next vacation and you, you see one on your mobile device. You're like, oh, that's really cute. Let, let me see, like, if, you know, what that looks like on the model. Oh, that looks better than I thought. Maybe I do want to buy it. I wonder if they have my size. Oh, they do. Let me add that to my cart. That was really easy. Maybe I'll just go ahead and buy it now, right? The faster that we serve up that data or that content to our users, the better experience they're gonna have. And in our case, probably the more likely they are gonna actually buy something, right? Nearly 70% of consumers say that page speed impacts their willingness to buy. And nearly 22% of consumers said that they would completely close the tab or the app out if they were having a poor user experience or if the performance wasn't there. And I have to say that I absolutely fall into that camp as well. Like if, you know, maybe I'm browsing Instagram and I see a link to a cute outfit, if I tap on it because I want to see what it looks like and then I have to wait. Like I'm, you know, I'm given the spinner. And then finally it loads and I think, okay, well, you know, it is actually pretty cute. Maybe I'll see if they have it in my size and I tap again and then I have to wait again. I'm absolutely going to start thinking about all the reasons as to why I shouldn't buy that product, right? I don't really should, I shouldn't spend money on that right now. I don't really need it. I'm probably just going to have to return it anyways. And so not only have we just provided a poor user experience, we've also lost a customer in that moment. And if we continue to do that over time, we're going to potentially lose the loyalty of these consumers as well. And last is value because value improves engagement. Um, and so how do we go about understanding what is valuable to our consumers? Well, we've got some research to do, right? We've got to evaluate and understand what is it that our consumers perceive to be valuable. And then once we do understand that, ensure that we build capabilities in our solutions to deliver on that value. We used to kind of equate value initially to things that were cost savings or time savings. And those may very well still be valuable, but value is starting to show up by way of, you know, feeling like you belong, right? Or giving someone a sense of community. So making sure that we understand what our consumers find to be valuable and we build those things into our products and that we understand it holistically is super critical. So Pervy, I'll pass it back over to you to walk us through kind of how we start defining the why and the what we're gonna build. Thanks, Kate. So as Kate mentioned, before we begin any solution development at VF, it's really important to understand the why, which is coupled with Kate's team when they come into the how. So also, as Kate mentioned, you know, really understanding the why, we also need to ground it in purpose and value and performance for our brands to develop a solution that's unique and that our user wants and cares about and needs, if it's not grounded in these things, we're just gonna develop something that's the same as every other person doing it. In order for us to bring something great to the market that really delivers that need and value and purpose for our user, we need to consider what, what's important, what matters. And I'm sure many of you have been in a situation where you know, your boss has come to you or your company is looking at 
we need to make more money. Let's, let's develop an app. Let's, let's figure out how we, how we do this from a technology standpoint. I think what we forget is that that's really the wrong foot to start out on because you're not solving a problem for someone that's using that app or that's using that technology. You're thinking about it really from just a business perspective. So blending all of this together will allow you to really develop the best possible solution. So in our first phase of why is explore. Um, and one thing to note at VF, so as we go through Explore, we're really trying to build out user journeys and we call them consumer journeys at VF. So you may hear me say it interchangeably with customer journey or user journey, but it also, it all means the same thing. So as we're looking at all these touch points and Explore of like, you know, someone downloading an app and then using it all the way through, or if they're just using something on their mobile, like the browser, what does that mean? What insights can we gather? Why are they using it? What are the problems that we can solve? And then alternatively, what are your competitors doing? Or what are other people doing that's better than what you offer today that you can learn from? What can you gather from that and think through, yeah, maybe I could think of a spin that might work well for, for someone climbing a mountain or someone skateboarding with our van shoes on um, or wearing one of our steel toe boots from Timberland. And then lastly, what's really possible within the constraints of your tech stack and just, you know, trying to keep in mind that while this may be a great solution for later, or this could be something we should explore, let's keep it in our back pocket for when we can really do it. So as we're really going into explore and understanding why and all the facets around it, we do a couple of things that come into play here. So we do meet with our business partners and stakeholders to really understand what are those goals and considerations that they're looking to meet? What do they know that we may not know as we're building the solution? Or what have they learned in the past from testing or talking with, the consum talking with their specific consumers? And what I mean by that is every consumer is different. So let's think about regional nuances, for instance. You may have someone in China that uses AR, VR to make most of their decisions. And then you may have someone in Brazil that they just want to get something in the fastest way possible. Hey, I want, I want a nice outfit to wear to the beach today and I want it in three hours. On another note, you may have someone in London that's shopping for a North Face jacket and it's wet and cold and rainy in December and they really just need something that's super versatile for that, like keeping them dry. Versus the same time in December, you have someone in LA that's looking for something a bit more fashionable and to wear out on that occasional 60 degree weather. So really understanding those regional nuances and developing for that specific consumer comes into play here to understand, you know, what are the pieces that we need and what do we really need to design and test to understand how we get to that as well. No solution is really a one size fits all. I think if you try to develop something that's one size fits all, you're likely gonna end up frustrating your user because they won't be able to get it fast or they won't be able to see it in a certain type of way that they're expecting. So conducting this research and really honing in on those like user pain points or user needs and wants will allow you to define a problem specific to those users and then also build better solutions. As we move through Explore as well, our development partners, so Kate's team would be with us. So they're also understanding why these users are doing these things and building that empathy with all of us together. So as we move through the process, we understand, oh yeah, you know, I remember um, that person in Brazil that wanted something really fast and that, you know, I know why you're wanting to do this now. So you're starting to build that partnership from the very beginning. 
<clears throat> so moving into design and test and really thinking through our design and development partnership, I would say this is where your partnership gets super strong and really, really defines itself between our, my team and Kate's team. So here's where you really start to explore, like what are the technical options? What's feasible from what we're designing? What can we really do? So just understanding those constraints of balancing technical possibility with user excellence and user experience excellence will allow you to get to a place that feels realistic. And then in this piece of it, you always want to think about what are other like third party vendors also doing that can fit into the equation and getting your development partners to help you build that out from a design aspect as well. I would say a lot of times when this partnership isn't super strong and you're not spending the time to really understand each other and the constraints that you face, you may get a no as an answer for something that you're looking to activate or develop and you'll just leave it at that. Like, hey, okay, I can't do it. You know, it's not possible within our tech stack. But if you've been working through this relationship and bringing them along in the journey, that no could be a maybe or a yes and. I can see times where Kate and I have potentially talked about something and she's been like, well, we probably can't do it this way, but maybe we can do it this way. And this part of it for design and test is really, really the stronghold of like where we get to the next steps of how. So I'll pass, pass it back over to Kate to talk through that a bit more. Thanks, Purvi. So at this point, you know, we, we know a lot more about um, why we're building something, who we're building it for, and the what, right? So at this point, we really want to start leaning into how we're going to solution for it. And like Purvi mentioned, some of these things have come up in conversation already, but at this point, we're really trying to hone in on what technology or what framework we may use. So we'd like to start with a set of questions that maybe we already have some answers to given the exploration and the design phase that we've already gone through. Um, but we like to work these through these, you know, not only like within ourselves, but within the engineers, within the designers, as well as definitely the business stakeholders, and really just anyone who has a role or a piece of this product that we're in the process of creating. And so the first question we ask is, you know, what platforms do we need our solution to be available on? Do we need iOS or just Android, maybe iOS and Android? Um, maybe we don't need an app at all, right? But how, essentially, how do we wanna show up and get into the hands of our users? The second question is, what are the necessary capabilities? So definitely through a lot of the design phase, you know, what we need to build is gonna come out. But I think it's important to note that not all capabilities are created equal you may very well have the need to have capabilities that rely very heavily on performance. Or on the contrary, maybe your capabilities are really dependent on the, the UI and the ability to hone in um, and, and manipulate and manage the UI, right? And those aren't necessarily the same. And oftentimes different frameworks excel in delivering on different types of capabilities. So it's just something to keep in mind. And then last, but definitely not least is, you know, what does your product funding look like? And I say product intentionally because, you know, this is something that you've got to take a look at not only what it takes to create it initially, but to nurture that product and keep it alive throughout essentially its entire life. We'll go more into um, the importance of continuous evolution here in a little bit, but also on the topic of funding. Um, you know, what type of resources do you already have in house? What skill sets do you have access to versus what would you have to hire externally and therefore may be an incremental cost, right? So understanding, again, 
what kind of budget you have to work with to support this living and breathing solution. Even though we are trying to lean into a specific technology, we typically approach those from a technology agnostic standpoint. But then also, we like to ask some of the same questions, but with a specific technology in mind. And the hopes are that, or the hope is that, you know, what we gain from over here and what we learn from over here, we kind of land on a common ground and a general consensus around maybe what framework we want to use. That's the hope, at least, right? And so let's kind of explore some different options. Let's say you have a need to have capabilities in your solution that access the device feature set. I'll give you an example of one of our products that we have in house, which is a stockroom management app where we have to scan in the inventory in the stockrooms for some of our stores. And in order to do that scanning, we utilize the iOS camera as the scanner, right? So in that case, we've got to access that device feature. Or maybe you have a strong need to control the UI where you're, it's very much important that you have platform-specific UI and you, and you won't settle for anything less. Or maybe you have a strong need to provide a seamless offline, online um, capability, right? And so in that case, perhaps native, a native framework would be a good option in that scenario. Or maybe you've discovered that you need your product to be available on multiple platforms. Um, and maybe you're not really quite as dependent on having that framework specific UI, and maybe you'd rather have a consistent UI across all of your devices. And perhaps you're also working on a tighter budget, but you still need to be available on all the platforms. And so in this case, maybe cross-platform is a good option for you. Or maybe you don't need an app at all, right? We all know the saying, there's an app for that. And for the most part, that's true. But you know, perhaps a responsive web page that just renders really nicely on a mobile device will work given your current, um, you know, your current needs. Or maybe you have a desire to pre present a web view in your app. I can give an example of something we have internally where we already have an external system that houses like the crux and really rich data, the crux of the data and just really rich data. It doesn't make sense for us to recreate that entire system in a native way, right? And, but we also have the need to get that app into the hands of our um, in-store teammates via on their iPads. So in this case, we built a hybrid app where we can, you know, we built it using uh, a swift kind of skeleton, if you will, and then brought in the web view of that external system. And, and that seems to work in that use case. Or maybe you just simply have a quick time to market, like Pervy said, you know, the importance is just getting it out quickly versus um, some other things. And in that case, maybe a hybrid app is a good a good option. And there's really two big things to point out here um, that we, we really need to mention. The first is obviously these lists are not extensive, right? I've got three bullet points under each of these where we could easily have 20 plus to go about, you know, scenarios in which one might be a better fit than the other. So it's not exhaustive and it's certainly by no means prescriptive, right? I think a lot of us probably come up with a reason as to why native would fit the bill for all scenarios, right? Or why it might be a best choice for all scenarios. Um, so not here to be prescriptive by any means, but just something that we use as just a, a guide to help us lean towards deciding on a potential framework to use. The second thing is no matter what framework you end up choosing, expectations of users for mobile solutions right now, they're very high. And so whatever framework you do choose, we just need to make sure that we are committed 
to not only creating the solution, of course, but to continue evolving it so that we can continue to meet the changes and the consumer demands. Kirby, I think I'll pass it back to you. So this is really where the rubber meets the road. So we're bridging the why and the how. So as Kate mentioned, you know, we really need to understand what, you know, how we're going to develop this and the questions we need to ask. And there have been times where you kind of design just throws it over the fence and says, here you go, my ticket is in, like, see you later, I'm starting on the next project. For us at VF, you know, we don't do this in a vacuum. You are still involved during the development phase. And we're trying to understand, okay, you've gotten into the code, are there any problems that we're seeing? You know, there may be some issues that come up. But as we, as we have designed the solution, we want to ensure, both of us want to ensure that the interactions and the aesthetics are really manifesting themselves as they should when they're live. So we usually, um, once in development, we usually take a look in QA or in design review. So before it goes live to understand, okay, like this was meant to be here. Is this really the right spot? Um, you know, this was meant to pulse and it, it's not really doing that. So having that back and forth conversation between design and development to say, oh, let's talk about why, why that's not happening or is it because it's not possible and let's maybe think through, you know, what we need to alter here. And I think it's really important to recognize that 80% accuracy may still give you 100% results. So I think being stuck on, you know, an interaction or aesthetic to getting it to, you know, 100% may, may not really be the right way to go. And taking a look at balancing that level of effort and risk for either damaging the relationship or just, you know, putting in extra hours may not even be worth it. So just always keeping in mind, like, hey, you know, this is this is still good. The end user may not even notice the difference here. You know, we've done we've done our best and we've still provided a fantastic solution. So continuing to have that conversation before it goes live and before your business stakeholders and your partners um, really look at that, you continuing to evolve it to a place where, you know, it feels right from your side of what you promised on a delivery and really meeting that problem to solve. Yeah, thanks, Purvi. So I think we've said it a million times so far in the presentation, we'll say it again, and we're going to hone in on it on this slide, is just the importance of continuing to evolve our solutions. And so how do we go about ensuring that we do that? And the first thing that we need to do is elevate our thinking from project thinking to product thinking. And so what does that mean, really? Well, projects, you know, historically, they have a start and an end date, right? We're very focused along the, um, on the milestones along the way, and we're super focused on the delivery of that initial solution. But what happens after that end date comes, you know, maybe you've got a couple weeks of hypercare built in there, but okay, after those three weeks, then what, right? If we don't continuously um, allocate resources and budget to that product, it's going to fall flat, right? And so we've really got to treat these products as living and breathing prototypes and keep them alive throughout the entirety um, of the point in time where they're created to when they're going to be sunset, right? Um, because if we do that and when we do that, we're now able to adapt and accommodate consumer behavior changes. And boy, are there a lot of those going on right now. So I can't help but to use COVID as another example. Um, but think if we had built all of our products to primarily service in-store shopping, 
right now we would be working our way to be more and more irrelevant, right? Because people aren't shopping like they once were. They're not flooding the stores. We've seen a huge increase in ship from store, buy online, pick up in store orders, standard online shopping, right? If that end date for our project had happened and we couldn't accommodate the changes in um, consumer behavior these days, our products, again, they're, they're gonna be stale and they're gonna become stale very quickly. There's also a tech piece to this as well too. So tech companies, they, you know, they create new devices, they create new software and sell companies, they create new services and they partner together to offer us new capabilities, right? And so not only is it in our best interest to be able to react to those technology offerings, but better if we can actually foreshadow those new technology offerings so that when, once they're available, we have you know, been able to see that they're coming our way and we can utilize those new capabilities or those new technology offerings um, and offer them back to our consumers as well. And then lastly, pretty much the phrase that we've been saying over and over is we must continue to support and enhance our products. Um, I read something recently and I, I didn't write it down, so I'm absolutely going to mess this up, but here we go. Conceptually, it goes something like this. The moment that we fall so in love with our product in their current state, we lose the ability to evolve them because we become so hyper-focused on what we have right now in this moment being the greatest, right? And I'm a, I'm a really visual person. So when I read that, I, I thought of, you know, someone sitting there with like these tunnel vision blinders on, which is also kind of a weird um, visual, but nonetheless, it's really representative of the inability to see things coming our way, right? We can't see and predict changes in consumer behavior. We can't see new technology offerings coming our way. And it's really gonna hinder our ability to evolve our products to meet all of those things. And so Pervy, one last time, I'll pass it back to you just to kind of walk us through how we can ensure we maintain that partnership between design and dev really to unlock that continuous evolution. Thanks, Kate. So in closing, um, you know, as we're looking at this partnership and in defining the why, you're not only tightening your solution and your use case, but you're building this long lasting partnership that is going to be an open forum for questions anytime you have something happening with this particular product or even another product. Um, and those questions could be, you know, really quick questions or even an exploratory uh, phase of like, hey, I have this really great idea. Is that something that's even possible today? Um, and if it's not possible today, would we want to consider that for the future? So just having this partnership be, um, be something that's a part of your daily work is, is going to bring great results to any company and to anything that you're looking to develop. The goal that Kate and I had in this presentation was to really share how VF's approaching creating new solutions in mobile and in other spaces as well. And I'd like to add to that because essentially this methodology could apply to many things, not just mobile. But we wanted to share um, particularly on mobile as it's an area that we're evolving in and we're continuing to iterate and experiment against on what's the best way for us to make a solution that's not one size fits all. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours 
of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.